Hello and welcome to Fringe Binge, Daily Doses from the Edinburgh Festival. I'm your host, Phil Ellis, and it's episode 13. Unlucky for some, but not unlucky for you wonderful people, because we don't have one, but we have two incredible guests. I'm joined by Ishan Akbar, who's a comedian, writer, star of TV, and ex-Bollywood choreographer. Then I sit down and have a nice catch-up with Edinburgh born and bred comedian, Rachel Jackson. Hope you enjoy the show. Ishan Akbar's here. Hello. How you doing, pal? I'm good. I'm really happy to be here. I know you, you've, you've always got a very, I, I think, a very nice sunny sort of demeanour about you. Oh, thank you, mate. Yeah, I'm You're just, you know. Friendly. It's um, it's because I haven't been to therapy yet. Oh, what today? Ever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just kind of like fake my way into happiness. No, no. Generally, I'm just quite a relaxed kind of dude. That's good though. I think. Uh, I think it's it's very rare now with comedians. Uh, although saying that, I don't. I try not to surround myself with the neurotics. Right. Yeah. 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 Because I think there's that thing with comedians where they feel they have to be moody and introspective all the time. Well, the, the thing that surprised me when I, st- I started comedy eight years ago was how few comedians have a good sense of humour. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. Off state. It's just bizarre. So the people I hang out with are the ones that just make me laugh without having to do a joke. They can just laugh about what's going on. There. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the neuroses and the arrogance and the fucking lack of sense of humour in comedy has been really, really interesting to learn. Because you started uh, comedy... How old were you started? Cause I you was 29. You 29, yeah. Because yeah. you'd already had quite a successful career, really. I had, well, uh, depends who you ask. I mean, on, on paper, fairly successful. Yeah. Mum and dad, no, no. Well, but they're not impressed because you're in uh, finance. Yeah, I was, I, was a bank, I was a banker for six years. I was a government mm. policy advisor for five. And then I was a speechwriter in a bank. But why were they not proud of that? Because I wasn't a CEO. Oh, right. You never this, went this up there. This is the thing. This kind of Asian high expectation is why we have people like Rishi Sunak. Right. And yeah. Priti Patel, you know? It's, they're, they're never satisfied. Absolute legends. Absolute top dogs. <laughs> <laughs> My heroes. <laughs> right. Well, that's all we needed. We've got, I've got what I came for. <laughs> <laughs> right, just need to loop that now. And put that out. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I mean, they, oh look, they were, pr- they are proud. They are proud. Um, I, I presume my mum's proud. She's dead, but she was. She died not long after I started comedy. I don't well, know I heard her last words were that she wasn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 I presume it was me starting comedy that led her to her death. <laughs> <laughs> last words were, ask him why. <laughs> <laughs> but I am sorry that your mother's dead. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yesterday, last night, I found out a fellow comedian's mum has got a severe disability. What was, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like the opposite of diabetes. Where <laughs> she used to have sugar <laughs> and just salt. throwing sugar out. <laughs> 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 I'm like, that, bro, that doesn't sound like a disability. That, uh, that's too many legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an octopus. Just fucking. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you write it? What's the opposite of diabetes? <laughs> They've got the opposite of dad. Oh, so that I don't know what. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> it's not all about your dead mum, mate. Come on, come on, mate. <laughs> got loads to cover. I'm in Edinburgh. It's all I ever think about. <laughs> oh my God! It's Susie McCabe. <laughs> For the purpose, Philly, this has coined another comic <laughs> to sit in a velour sofa and get interviewed while he so tries hot. to get a Patreon. Yeah, it's so fucking hot as well. I know it's Susie's fine. only here to use the Wi-Fi for a football coupon. Yeah, aren't <laughs> 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 what a cameo! <laughs> hey, pal. 
So you started. <laughs> this is more the most chaotic one so far. I don't want you to think I'm a professional because you're you're in a lot of podcasts now. You've you've, you've got um, a lot of popularity through your radio show as well. Yeah, you did on the Asian Network yeah. and um, and quite a staple of the uh, the podcast circuit. I would say. Yeah, it's somehow a circuit really. Uh, somehow, like I, I have a have a word. Podcast is, is one in particular, but I've yeah. done a lot of podcasts in my time. And despite current evidence, I'm actually quite good at them. Yeah, yeah. And I have a lot of fun at them, you know, because... Yeah, but people obviously like you a lot because you keep going back on. It's, it's Yeah, no, I enjoy doing podcasts and radio. I'm one of those people, like, I'm not, I'm not too precious about anything, really. Right. And I think particularly comedy because... And it might be because I had this serious career in the yeah. past. If someone told me tomorrow, you can't do a gig again, I'd be sad about it. Yeah. But I'd get another job. I'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, you'd survive because you did you did you lose your job, or did you just quit and quit. go into the last quit. one? I quit. Yeah, and what what made you want to do that shift from that? What what why was um did you quit the job to pursue comedy, or did you quit your job and found comedy? Uh, I quit my job to do comedy. Um, right, yeah. So <coughs> I found comedy, or comedy found me, whichever kind of way you want to look mm. at it. I didn't had no. I, I didn't watch any stand-up until I started doing comedy. Oh, right. I didn't know anything about it. I just did it as a thing. Um, so how, how, did, how, how, um, how did you hear about it? What was yeah, the, what was the, so basically, so. I, whenever, whichever job I did, I always did something on the side that was a bit creative. So I was a Bollywood dance choreographer for many years. Yeah, I read about that. I didn't know that yeah. either. Uh, I was a Bollywood dance choreographer. I did Amdram. I did theatre. I did all sorts of things. Mm. Never with the intention of becoming that thing. Right. Because from my parents, it was always, you do a good job, earn lots of money, and that, that's your calling in life. Right. And I started doing comedy, and it didn't take me very long to catch the bug. Mm. Because it just seemed to amalgamate all these seemingly unrelated past experiences with a bit of rigor to create this thing called comedy. And I was like, fuck, I really love this thing. Oh, fascinating. So I started yeah. doing it, and... I started getting bigger gigs, better gigs quite quickly. Mm. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe I need to do this seriously and see what happens. Two months after I started, like I mentioned, again, my mum died. So when mm. she passed away, because it was so sudden, that was kind of another cliched light bulb moment where I was like, it was so quick. It was so sudden. I don't want to go to an office every day in Canary Wharf. No, of course not. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to do comedy and see what happens. And eight years later, here I am talking to you on a sofa. Exactly. Eight dreams can come true. They can. And the toilets are literally there. They're stoves. <laughs> <laughs> you can smell them. You can smell them, yeah. yeah. You did the right thing. Yeah, thank you. Well, I also worked in banking. Did you? What did you do in banking? I was a cashier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, it still counts. I, I, I spent a bit of time cashiering, and I was terrible at it because mm. I didn't really care about it. Yeah. Um, on one occasion, I... Back then, used to be able to go to the pub at lunchtime. Oh, really? Did you used to go and have a couple of yeah couple on of chugs? A, one particular Friday, I had a, had a few pints. I think it was four, <laughs> and I came back, um, and it, it was Friday evenings, Friday afternoons. So it was really busy, but I was so overwhelmed by how busy it was, I kept stamping my own hand instead of the actual checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> so I broke my left hand. You broke your hand? Yeah, because I stamped it about six times. What a weird injury. <laughs> uh, another time I got stuck stuck in the bullion lift on a Saturday afternoon. Bullying lift? Yeah, there's a <laughs> <laughs> bullion. 
Oh yeah, there was you a piece of shit. Yeah, we just Which put floor you wanker in a confined space. You're fat. You can't even fit in this. Your mother never loved the bullion lift. So yeah, so you got stuck in the bullion lift. Yeah, so there was a a lift that went from the cashier's desk down to where the safes were with the day's cash takings and any kind of reserves that people wanted to put in there. Mm. And one uh, Saturday afternoon, it was a bit quiet, and I asked my mate Tunde. I said to Tunde, "Do you reckon you can go down in that lift?" He goes, yeah, yeah, I reckon you could. So I went, all right. So I went in, got half, well, not even halfway, because my feet were near the ground floor where it's supposed to go, but my eyes were peering through where the cashier's desk were. Right. I was just stuck between these two floors for an hour and a half. But it's an interesting, so, so you did the creative aspects just to, almost like a, a release for those, that side of you, but you could still appease your parents. Yeah, the, and, the and also, you know, job. I would love to be able to say to you that, oh, I just always had this creative calling in my heart, but I didn't. Mm. It's just that, that my, that's what my mum used to do. My mum used to, to work and do something on the side. Everyone in my mum's family, they've got really important jobs, mm. but they're also like creatively poets, writers, actors. Mm. So that's just what I grew up knowing yeah, to do. Yeah. And then comedy came along and that was the calling that I had. What was your first gig? Um, my first gig officially was I did like a six week comedy workshop mm. so it was a showcase for that who, who taught that? it was the comedy school based in London and really what they ta- <coughs> taught me on that course was comedy is like a conversation right yeah and that was it so I did the showcase it was fine you know as you'd expect for a first show because I watched it back a couple of months ago did and anyone else from that course go through and yeah no one yeah. else from that class Continue to do comedy. No. Uh, similar with my Say Think You're Funny final class. Yeah, because you were in... So two years in, you are in the final of So You Think You're Funny. Yeah. That's no. incredible. I was... I was then, yeah, then I started the... Fo- yeah, so that was the showcase. Then yeah. I started comedy in March 2014. August 2014. I, um, I was in the Say Think You're Funny final. Mm. With um, Elliot Steele. Elliot Steele, Mark Steele's son. Who was still... Comedian. Who was 17 then and still 17 now, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Benji Waterstone has now got a book about psychiatry. Of course, yeah, yeah. And Aidan Strangeman, who won, is now a pro-trans campaigner in Ireland. So that's quite interesting. So you did the first gig. You were saying that you watched the first big gig back and you were quite happy with it. it was I was really happy with it. Was, yeah. Some of the structure was good. The performance wasn't there at all. But the essence of who I am now, pretty much the same. I'm just more confident and more able to write better jokes, as you'd expect, eight years in. Mm. But I think, it's going to sound really grandiose, but I think I was always really quite fucking good at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I realise I always oh. was a comedian. <laughs> when you, do you think that perhaps that you're, uh, being a choreographer, I know it sounds such a weird uh, link here, but being a choreographer, a da- dance choreographer, yeah. that, I suppose, performing in front of people, yeah. and the confidence to do that. Did you find it uh, not quite as uh, intimidating to get on the stage for the first time? Yeah, definitely, yeah. because I did that. I think that's one thing, is I had no issues with being on stage, particularly because I was always, like, a big guy dancing mm. on stage. Yeah. And I inherently understood the comedy of that particular thing. Mm. And the kind of choreography I did, Bollywood, it was dancing, but it was also funny, and it was yeah. also cheeky. So all the choreography I did harked to some famous Bollywood actors who would specialise in that kind of dance, which was yeah. effectively sign language of the song, 
but with like funny bits and moments within it. Yeah. So unbeknownst to me, Bollywood actually tremendously helped in terms of my understanding of timing and uh, pull back and reveal and this kind of nonsense that people talk about in the Pleasance Courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm not allowed in anymore. Yeah. <laughs> keep flyer and keep kicking in. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that definitely helped. And um, yeah. I haven't done any Bollywood on stage now since I started comedy. No. But it definitely helped. By so the way, I'm really impressed you've got notes. Thanks, yeah. I did and try really And hard. I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but I know it's going to sound disparaging. I didn't expect that from you. I don't think people do. <laughs> but what's good is... But, uh, yeah, the notes are... I mean, don't get me wrong, not to do with you at all. These oh, oh they're just... This is from two weeks ago. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> the Joe Brand. <laughs> so you've been uh, appearing a lot on, obviously, various... I didn't know you did Voices for Spitting Image, either. Yeah, I did. I did the, all the brown people. Yeah, do you just talk normally? What happened? Yeah, I, I, this is it. I think I sound like an English person. And so they cast me to do just the brown people. But I don't think... I think I can do Dominic Raab as well as I can do um, Rishi Sunak. Well, yeah. Well, do you think that... I mean, is that literally because now, it, obviously, since the Apu thing, yeah. you can't have a white person voicing... A, and a, a, if you ever come to any of my sets, you'll see, I think all of that is such a load of fucking nonsense. I'm not a voice yeah. actor. Mm. So what they did is... is to make to appease themselves, they cast me, a brown man, to do the brown voices. But really, if they really wanted to make a statement, cast me as fucking Boris Johnson. Do you know what I mean? But <clears throat> it's just, it's, I talk about it in my, in my set as well. I, I think I frustrate a lot of the industry and other comedians because, and it was Rosie Holt who coined this phrase for me, actually. She said, you're infuriating the untribal. Right. And so... I don't necessarily agree with all this people of colour, representation, all this kind of stuff in the same way that people expect me to. So, yeah, so I did voices on, on Spitting Image. And, you know, all throughout my career, I've been very lucky. Like, I've had these opportunities. But at the same time, not nearly as many opportunities as someone would expect a deaf, fat, Asian bloke to get. Because if we're really in a, in a society where representation matters, mm. I should have been fucking cleaning up by now. Well, I'm sure you are benefits-wise. <laughs> well... <laughs> It's just I don't know what to keep in this <laughs> Oh, what is my life? Um, so, spitting image. Yeah. Um, you'll obviously have that after once this goes out. Yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> say goodbye. Mot of the week's gone, mate. You yeah. really fucked it. Yeah, that's gone. <laughs> Probably killed off QI whilst you've been on it. Uh, I am the death knell for these long-standing <laughs> shows. What's been your... Um, from comedy, what has been the thing that the uh, the opportunity you've got as a stand-up that has been the most satisfying or the most exciting for you so far? Oh, that's such a good question. Thanks, mate. Um, I think for nostalgia purposes, doing Mock the Week mm. three times was good because I think if you do it once, it feels a bit like, oh, they yeah. just chucked you on. Uh, second time sounds like they give you a second chance, but a third time it's like, no, we like you. We like this yeah, dude. Yeah. So I would say Mock the Week just in terms of nostalgia. Um, but I don't, I don't feel like that moment has happened yet. Right, still waiting for still, it. Still waiting for it. But I also do think that things like Have a Word podcast, the, when I sell tickets to... Whenever I sell one ticket, I'm always amazed, even mm. now. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> Mate, okay. especially this year in Edinburgh, because I was a last. I wish I could sell one ticket. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a very, very much a last minute addition mm. to the bill. 
so they put me in a 174 seater. Uh, as of today, for today's show, I've sold four. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually dub- I've actually doubled you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, come on! I knew that. Uh, I knew that booby prize in 2014 and <laughs> stopped paying for itself. I have the no, pity prize. I have no PR, no poster, and no flyers. No, no, and uh, no uh, audience. So <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Start negging my guests. Yeah, I don't know. What's I don't going know. On. I panicked. <laughs> I think I got upset when you mentioned have a word. Yeah. He's <laughs> on there going, "What about my shitty what about podcast?" My podcast? <laughs> We've got the 12 f- listeners, oh, mate. The fringe binge. Um, uh, no, but sorry. So, but that is that is a very. That, I think we forget that sometimes. That when someone buys a ticket because they like you, yeah, that is a that is, is a, a huge win, absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm still I still feel like a long way away. And so I've, I'm very grateful for the opportunities I've had, mm. uh, and it's lovely to have done those. But TV and radio are just shop windows for the ultimate thing I want, which is to sell tickets for people to come and see me live. Mm. I love being on stage. It's my favorite place to be. All the other stuff is just ways in which to facilitate doing that. And I would say about 10% of the stuff I do is just for the fucking fun of it. I just like having a good time. It's time. And is there anything uh, other than comedy that you... Again, it was quite. I find it interesting that you did these different creative, uh, these different creative outlets. Is there anything that you do creatively that is outside of comedy that you do just for you? That's jigsaw not really puzzles. something. Jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, I love a jigsaw. Really? Puzzle. Yeah. Why? Wow, what? How many pieces we're talking? A thousand. Min. Yeah. And what about three D jigsaws? Oh no, I don't go with those yet. No, really. Yeah. Well, you don't want to. I, I like a flat two D. Yeah, dining yeah. table, jigsaw puzzle, cocoa pops. Mm. Jigsaw whiskey. Wow, what a what a combo! <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you complete a jigsaw, I didn't think I didn't think the podcast was going to go. I wanted to know, I wanted to know if you were doing drugs last night in Loft Bar. But anyway, here we are. You'll get everything right. So, uh, tell us more about your jigsaws. <laughs> What's the biggest jigsaw you've ever done? Fucking okay, hell! It's being over seventies <laughs> listenership. No, um, when you complete a jigsaw, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you this for a while. When, uh, when you complete a jigsaw, say yeah. say a thousand, yeah. right? a thousand pieces, and then you finish bowl coat, you put the last piece in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're doing the action. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. How long do you now leave the jigsaw in its complete state? I frame you, it. You frame it? <laughs> you frame every jigsaw. I framed every jigsaw. <laughs> That's garbage. I'd love to see. I've got 57 <laughs> framed jigsaws. <laughs> Fucking serial killer. <laughs> How do you think I, got, I, I keep all their faces. <laughs> 57, so believable. No, because I said I wanted to do 60 by the time I was 40. <laughs> Dare to dream. Branson wanted to go around the world in a hot air balloon. You, 60 jigsaws. <laughs> in 80 days. Oh, well. Well, well. Uh, it's, we've been, <laughs> I think we've covered pretty much. <laughs> what a journey. So this is like a work in progress. You're getting a show ready for touring. Yes. Cool. What's the name? Do you know the name of the tour show at the moment? Or yes. Is this, it's the yeah. same name for the work in progress, The Pretender. The show's called The Pretender. The Pretender. Cool. And you're at the Pleasance Dome at 8 o'clock. Yes. Kingdom. 
Yes, I have loads of tickets available. It's a big old venue, though, isn't it? You'll yeah. do well. You're a funny guy, Thanks, popular mate. guy. Uh, August 17th to 28th here. So, uh, I mean, hopefully we can shift at least another three. Off the yeah, that would be lovely. Yeah, if someone new listens if, if today. If three of the 12 that listen to this can come <laughs> along, that'd be great. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Anything else you want to plug before you go? Uh, no, just come to my house and see my jigsaws. <laughs> most desperate ending. <laughs> <laughs> After a quick trip to the toilet and a little coffee, I sat down with the wonderful Rachel Jackson for a really nice chat. We're uh, we're sat here at the assembly. Uh, I'm setting the say We're starting now, Rachel. If you're happy with that? Yes, absolutely. I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Yes. Excellent stuff. We're in. A, this is the first time uh, recorded here. We're upstairs in the assembly bar. Uh, right near the, the cellophane roof <laughs> on a very, very hot day. And who the hell's this starlet <laughs> over here? It's Rachel Jackson. Hello. Hello, pal. Oi, oi. You all right? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank yeah. you. You're looking well. Thank you very much. Are you, are you enjoying this fridge? Oh, t- f- before we start, yes. sorry, Rachel. No, you should right. say what your show is called, yes. what time it's on and where it's at. Okay, so my show's called Almost Famous. Uh, it's at the Stand Comedy Club, Stand 2, um, which is just around the corner from Stand 1. And one twenty PM every day. Tickets are a tenner or you know, nine pound concession. And yeah, it's it's my best work yet. I'm so proud of it. So anyone who's thinking about it or wants to support a local lass, because I'm from Edinburgh. Yeah. Um so yeah. So I well, come along, please do. Yeah, excellent and, and you know, the Edinburgh Festival, as we know, uh, and everything about the comedy side of it is always really not pushed the local acts. No, not at all. <laughs> and you know, a, a Scottish woman has never been nominated for the main prize. Nomin- not even not nominated. Not even nominated. And, and you just think like, come on, man, there's so much talent. That's and even ridiculous. like male comics, there's only been like Larry Dean maybe and, and Kevin Bridges. But you just think like, my goodness, a, sh- a festival that happens in Edinburgh, you don't really get a lot of Scottish acts breaking out of it. Um, so you're at the stand at great venues. Yes. Too. Oh, I was buzzing because like I've been doing stand up for six years now, and the stand was obviously where I kind of like cut my teeth and all that, and got my first weekend gigs and stuff. And mm. they've always been very supportive. And oh, either that or Monkey Barrel in terms of you know being a Scottish act, that's like one of the venues you kind of mm. want to be at just because they cut such a good deal. And but I was delighted to get the support at the stand. And I'm not just trying to be cheesy, but the whole team, every single person from like the people who are on the box office, front of house, like marketing, PR, they're all yeah. so sweet. The comedy fans, nice people. Mm. And it's just a good vibe. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's a really it, good vibe. That's why so many people go there once and then yeah, that's just it. stay there. Yeah, that's I think I'd really stay. Like if, they, if they're happy with me, every year, if I come back for the fringe, every year I would go to stand. 100%. But you're leaving us. Yes, I, I'm like. You're leaving. Well, for the, I'm going to Nashville in December. I'm moving yeah. to Nashville. Because uh, for love. For love, for love and career. I've always wanted to live in America yeah. since I was a little girl. I totally bought into the American dream and all that. I, I have. I yeah. would love to live in America. Right. Yeah. It's like honestly, I've even got my people can't see, but I've got an American dog tag on. Oh, my cool. boyfriend yeah, bought me this at a flea market in, outside of Nashville, and he yeah, was raging because nice. he's dead tight, and he was like, thirty bucks, thirty bucks for that baby girl. Thirty bucks. And I was look. like, oh, I call you baby girl. <laughs> Calls oh, me baby girl. And I imagine if an English guy was like, hey, baby girl, I'd yeah. be cringing. Well, that baby girl. Oh, yeah. You like that baby girl? I know. I'd be like, no, get away. But there's something <laughs> about a southern man. Because he sounds like Elvis. He could get away with saying anything. Hey, baby girl. Hey, baby girl. And I'm like, Is he from Nashville, though? He's from Nashville, born That's and so raised. cool, isn't it? Yeah. So you met, uh, quite a funny story, you met yeah. at a gig. We met at Monkey Barrel That's last right, November. Yeah. And I was in a really bad place mentally, which you'll hear all about in the show, because uh, my show's about 
like trying to get famous whilst living with a debilitating mental illness, mm. which is my OCD. Um, but I'm finally not letting it kind of uh, rule me anymore. That's why I'm finally talking about it and doing right. a show about it. But yeah, I was really mentally unwell last year when I met him, uh, which I know doesn't sound like a good start to a right. relationship. But, um, you know, he saw the real me straight away and he, we, we just fell in love and, oh, Love of my life. Right. Love of my life, Phil, honestly. And does he creep into the show? <laughs> not well, creep, creep, literally. In, literally. <laughs> not <laughs> not like the, the back, back of the back. <laughs> with the, no, um, not so much because um, I think that'll be my next show after a year living in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. If I can't get an hour's worth of material from that, then... Um, so not so much. I just sort of mentioned him at the end and how I'm in a good place at the moment and blah, blah, blah. Because you met there and then you... Fl- I'm sorry, I'm not going to make it all about oh, your shit, but oh, I think I it's I quite an exciting. Yeah. And, uh, and you flew out to see him there? Yeah. So it he well. so we met in November, right? And then we only had a couple of dates in Edinburgh. But you know when they say when you know, you know. And it's mm. a bit cheesy, but I'd never felt that kind of comfortable. I told him all about my OCD. He didn't bat an eyelid. And I mm. thought, well, you must really, really want to shag me <laughs> if yeah, nothing well. I've said has disturbed you. <laughs> 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 He's been reading the same books as me. Well done, pal. <laughs> Just nod and say yes. <laughs> exactly. Your OCD, because yes. it is this just featuring the yes, new show. Uh-huh. What, how have you, have you have you had therapy for it that's got you into a place now where you can... Well, actually, I, uh, I, yeah. I tried CBT for the first time last November because I've had OCD since I was nine, right? Mm. But obviously I didn't know what it was then. I just thought I was a freak because mm. um, that was in the 90s when you didn't really know much about mental health or there wasn't really internet. So mm. it's and plus I was never officially diagnosed. It's just something that I knew I've, I've always kind of had. And so whenever it comes on, I get back on. So I'm on fluoxetine at the moment. So even though I'm in a really good place mentally, I'm staying on it for a while just because that's the advice they give you. Mm. Um, you know, don't try. Because the, the times before when my OCD's played up really badly, I've gone on the meds. After eight weeks, I'm like, woo, I'm fine, I'm cured. And then I just come off it. Not straight away because it's really bad to do that. I've Like I always do it really slowly when I come off the meds. Mm. But then it's like, well, that's not really solving anything, going on meds every couple of years for a couple of months. It's not really solving anything. Yeah. So I thought maybe I should try CBT this time and, you know, but the women, she might be listening <laughs> to this, but I just felt like it wasn't, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to give any, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, a, you know, everything, people try it, different things work for different people, mm-hmm. but I just didn't find it very useful to me because she was going on about a thing called tapping. Have you heard about this tapping no, thing? No. Right, so it's a thing like, um, <laughs> you literally tap different, there's like spots, like parts of your body, like pressure points, All that right. if you tap continuously, it makes you feel less anxious. But I'm like, isn't that just another compulsion? Yeah, like I, get, I get told I off for tapping my, my part. Really? <laughs> Phil, come on, stop yeah, tapping it, stop mate. Tapping. It's just yeah. an excuse. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's yeah. for my OCD, yeah. mate. Don't you yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's like, that's just another encouraging another compulsion. Surely that's the yeah. worst thing you can do to someone with obsessive nature. Oh, just do this. Yeah, and that I is an odd thing. Yeah, and I didn't like the way she actually said, oh, she actually said tapping is better than antidepressants. And I thought, but that's your opinion. Like, that's not medically, um, that's yeah, very like irresponsible. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's just another yeah, way of. Yeah, exactly. Still it's doing another the distraction. Yeah. And it's like, sort of like, well, come on, that you can't. I just think you, that's so irresponsible to say one thing's better than another when every human brain's different and every, you know. So for me, I just thought that was quite irresponsible that she made that comment. How, when did you first know that there was something not quite. Um, not to say not quite right, but that, mm. that you had this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When did you realise yeah, that you, you were should mad. be locked away? first, I talk about my show. I won't give it away, but if you come and see my show, yeah. I talk about my first OCD experience when I was nine years old. But obviously it was in the 90s. No idea what it was or what was wrong with me or whatever. But I, I truly realised I had OCD when I was 27 and I was at drama school. And because there's a condition very similar to OCD called trichotillomania, where you can compulsively pull out hairs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I had that as well, but I didn't connect it. But it's another, I suppose it is a compulsion, another obsessive sort of compulsion, where it was with tweezers, I'd be picking out like little chin hairs 
and I mean ones that weren't even long enough to be a hair yet, like micro. So you would mm. pull it out and it would be like an ingrown hair. And it was just uh, like I was getting spots and blood and scars because it was just really? because it was such an obsession. And people were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? So I went on Google, like compulsively picking out hair. And then it was like OCD. And then uh, and then it was like the light bulb moment mm. where I thought, oh, my God. And I felt relieved because I was like, oh, my God, that's what I've got. Because you know now that now one, I know. It's, it's a thing. It's a it's thing. It's not just you. Yeah, I'm not just a mad person. that's like I'm the only one who's got a brain like this. Mm. It's like, mil- so it, it was like, I feel like apparently a lot of people feel like that when they finally kind of click that mm. what, what it is they've got. And they're like, oh, wow. They feel relieved. No, I think you're right. It's like I was the same when I found out I was an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> you can like, live oh, with it. Yeah, it's a thing. There's loads of us. Yeah, there's loads of <laughs> us. Especially at the fringe. Especially at the fringe. <laughs> a male comedian at the fringe. Who's not? <laughs> what? Uh, we <laughs> can mean, do with a few more male comedians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> white. Okay, we keep a nice white yeah, male. Yeah, come on. Middle-aged. Come on. <laughs> Middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> You've... Um, so going over to America is quite exciting, mm. but you mean you have your career has because we first met yeah uh, at the weird that really weird yes. gig that ah. was in Newcastle during COVID yeah yeah during yeah. COVID yeah. yeah it was during like the first when the when we were first kind of allowed out yeah but, was, but we were performing in an empty theatre <laughs> yeah. in Newcastle mm-hmm. it was odd wasn't it two cameras yeah. basically yeah. it was like a Zoom gig yeah. but but in a massive yeah. theatre. Yeah, I thought, how cruel, finally playing a big venue and there's no one fucking in it. I know, like, yeah, what? yeah. And you weren't even allowed to face out, you <laughs> no. had to face the other way, didn't you? So, we yeah. were performing on the stage with our back to the no audience. Oh, it was And the camera, it was like me, you, Chris Ramsey, Carl Hutchinson, Scott Bennett. Yeah, yeah. It was, and it was really, my mum and dad were there, Your mum and dad were there, they were oh, wonderful, yeah. Brilliant, they're my biggest fans. And they were loving it, because they love Chris Ramsey, because they watch Strictly and all that. And yeah, yeah. They felt like, oh, you know, getting offered Domino's Pizza by Chris Ramsey. Domino's and Pizza, Carl yeah. Hutchinson, like feeding them beer and oh it was great it was all socially night. distanced and yes <laughs> <laughs> all socially distanced and all above board yes exactly During but we did have to follow weird protocols mm. the way you had to go in and out and the mics were all getting wiped yeah and, uh, god and uh, but it was quite odd because we were just trying to make each other laugh on the side yeah which is good but that was a ni- but that was a, w- a n- lovely it was yeah, a fun gig and meeting. you know what it's lovely as well because you do I mean like you've seen you're an arsehole but uh, you actually are sound but you know oh, when you do so you're like I'm a though I'm a yeah. but you do so many gigs where you get to the green room and you're like oh god you know when you know the lineup and you're like mm. oh god I've got to see them them and them and it is so nice especially when you're like because quite often you are the only female on the bill mm. when it's four guys like the guys who I met all that night uh, mm. at the time where it's like sound people you just get on have a laugh yeah. and you think oh this is why it's good to be a comedian sometimes when you're in a green room and you actually have a laugh and eat pizza but your career's doing real I mean you've been on the ITV sketch show oh thank you that. bless you, you. yeah doing TV work's coming in which is great thank you well, uh, I got that myself because that's a thing. A lot of people like, um, I just LinkedIn the guy because I'm I'm big on LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> oh really? Yeah, because I'm I'm a bit like Jerry Halliwell. I feel like I'm like the more talented version of Jerry Halliwell. And look how far she got exactly. with very little, Christ right? And so I think if you've got talent and you've got the work ethic of Jerry Halliwell, there's nothing that can stop you. Mm. So basically, I I saw in the comedy uh, what's it called the British Comedy Guide. You know how you, every week you get the emails out saying what's going on. Mm. The stand up sketch show was coming back for series three. And I was like, oh, I'd be great on that because obviously I've got an acting background, so you get to do stand up and like acting. Mm. And, you know, didn't have an agent at the time or whatever. So I just um, I slid into the DMs of one nice. of the producers of the stand up sketch show. And he went, actually, we are still looking for a couple of people. Let me watch your stuff and get back to you. Two days later, they booked me. And I just thought, that's what it's all about. Mm. Like, you, if you want stuff, you have to go after it. Not everyone gets handed stuff, yeah. not everyone has the big agent that just gets them job after job after job. Like, some of us have to hustle a bit mm. more than that. and. 
But and I'm not afraid to. I just go for it. No, that's great. I mean, it's mm. the, that's the thing, isn't it? It's always such a funny... Because it's a, a, an industry full of people who have low self-esteem yeah. or anxiety, whatever uh-huh, it is. Uh-huh. When we see someone who is very good at publicising themselves, pushing themselves, mm. people almost... like There's a lot of... Not, I wouldn't say like bitching. Oh no, believe me, I could tell you. Oh yeah, there is, there is, and there's something about like I noticed that when I first started comedy, there was a lot of snobbery in that towards me because I'd come from the acting world, I'd been to drama school, I'd done some TV and film stuff, and it was a bit of an attitude from. I have to say, it wasn't female acts; it was a lot of male acts. Oh really? Obviously, I wouldn't name names, and there was a lot of lovely people. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of acts that treated me like dirt, as if like who the fuck does this wee actress think she is coming, thinking she can be a stand-up? Think you can be a stand-up? I was like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I do actually, yeah. What what was your your biggest acting role before you came and? Uh, um, I did like I just like Scottish work. I did a show called Scott Squad. Uh, it's like a kind of yeah, mockumentary. Yeah. It was mainly kind of like um, like guest leads or you know like one episode of stuff, not like a series regular or whatever. But you know I was popping up and stuff. I done a, I was the face of Iron Brew for a while. Bloody I did hell, a, yeah, that, well, that is big. That's, that's like big, royalty, right? Yeah. Two thousand eleven. I was cast to play the lead female of the Iron Brew advert, and I was on the buses on the. Like everywhere. Wow. And they didn't even give me any free iron brew. Like, what the heck? You know when you're like... People Changed s- the bloody recipe now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not it's not what it used to be. No, it is but, not. But, um, aye, and I do feel like when I first came on the scene, there was a bit of that, like... Because I feel like there is, like, a kind of snobbery sometimes amongst comedians. Like what you were saying, like, it's kind of cool to be unsuccessful and yeah. bitch about people who are doing well. I'm like, that's not, that's not cool. That's uncool. I tell you, it's not cool to have to check you. Yeah. Check you. Check your Nat West app every four minutes <laughs> to make check if money's coming <laughs> from the funky yeah. lol hut in Grimsby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, why, why not? Like, I just think life's too short. I do think I've got, like, that's why I'm, I'm dating an American. I think there's a bit of, I've got a bit of an American spirit, like. But, this is, uh, you, you're doing well. Oh, bless you. And you're having, a, and you, you joined this, Edinburgh. Is this, the, obviously, your first experience, you weren't uh, Bunny Boiler. I mean, that was, was that a good, did you enjoy that no, year as well? Not was at that all. a, ba- a Bad steep year. learning curve? And I talk yeah. about that in my show as well, that looking back, um, a, I would never pay for PR again because I think I'm uh, better at getting PR myself. Yeah. Because um, this year I got myself on Popmaster, um, Ken Bruce Radio 2. I just Ooh, applied nice. for it as a contestant. Yeah, well, another great PR. I wouldn't say stunt, uh-huh. but another thing. Of course, your your old mate, old Dwayne, <laughs> Dwayne Jono. I know. I Johnson. Know. The Rock. The, the Rock. Yeah, I know. What a, what a legend he is, man. Honestly. Because you... The, I, I can try and remember the story. Yeah. I think I'm d- it's an odd... Uh, occurrence that involves the rock, mm. and you've got a story about yeah. that in your stand-up yeah. as well. Yeah, so that's like the, the bit was because I met him very briefly a few years ago, and he was in the middle of asking me a question, but he didn't get to finish it, and then he was dragged away. So it's that way that like, oh my god, what did the rock want to know? Like, and I can't, I can't get on with my life without yeah, knowing. Yeah, yeah. So then that became like the bit went on Twitter, and then he re- re- replied to it and stuff. But then it's been like over the years because that was 2019. He every now and then it's like he throws me another bone, like another like, oh go and see. He tagged the stand. He was like, go and see my hilarious buddy at the stand. Oh nice. For yeah. him to call me his buddy, you're like, that is like doesn't really get better than that, man. Well, he is one of those people you put him good money on saying he's a decent guy. Aye, yeah. I think so. And honestly, it's nice that it's Aye. nice when people in a position do. Yeah, because like I would that. like to think that the bigger I get, it's all about paying it forward. I really believe that. And that it's nice that people like that, and as big as he is, that he's not forgotten that one time he was a wannabe. Exactly. You know, everyone that's everyone started off as a wannabe. This is it. I'm still one. I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a has-been now. I've moved from no, wannabe to has-been. No, to never. Wannabe to been to has-been. <laughs> no, 
want to be. So. I was being very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> For a very brief period, I was being. <laughs> but no. uh, oh, yeah, so um, I, uh, thanks, Dwayne. It gives us a retweet. Yes, come on, Dwayne. <laughs> Woo, number five. Come, come on the podcast, Dwayne. Come on Dwayne. the podcast. You'll have to come and do an Edinburgh show. Uh, yeah. Rachel, uh, w- would you please, just mm. one more time, tell mm-hmm. us the name of the show, yes. where you're on, mm-hmm. and what time you're on. It's uh, Almost Famous, Rachel Jackson, Almost Famous, The Stand Comedy Club, Stand 2, one twenty every day except for the 15th and the 24th. And please come, I would love to see you there. Rachel, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, it's been <laughs> a bloody pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> thanks so much for listening. That is the end of the episode today. Please do keep liking and subscribing. Add us on social medias, at Fringe Binge Pod. And have a wonderful day. Bye. <laughs>